I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I preached the other day on the on Antiochus Epiphanes. He was the Old Testament, Old Testament man of sin. And it wouldn't be anything but proper for me to continue this, man of sin. He's the one that led this this uh, his army against Israel back this if this is Israel here out here and he led his armies to go down here and to attack Egypt and this is the Mediterranean Sea and to pack Egypt and he was told by the emissary from Rome to back off because if he didn't back away, they would bring the Roman legions in there to crush him. But Antiochus was trying to build his own empire, and he had managed, well, he hadn't really managed to take over a lot. He was trying to conquer, uh, he was trying to conquer, uh, he was trying to conquer Turk, what we call Turkey, He's trying to conquer Kirk, uh, Turkey. It was called Asia Minor back then. He's trying to conquer this. And he was the ruler of what we call Assyria. And they were what you call Solution Kings. Solution Kings. Seleucus was one of the surviving generals of Alex the Great. And there was Seleucus and Cassander and Lysacomus and Ptolemy and Ptolemy ruled Egypt and he was always attack he was wanting to attack Egypt and take over Egypt he's wanting to take over Israel and what we call Jordan and he wanted to take over old Babylon and and what we call Turkey uh, he never did manage all that otherwise he would have tried to go over and taken over the rest of the world but he, he was ruling a lot of those lands at one time and he was in the New Testament every time the Bible says it's talking about the desolation of abomination as spoken of by Daniel the prophet the Desolation, the abomination of desolation. Of desolation. When you see that in the New Testament, it's talking about what we talked about the other day. It's talking about when Antiochus Epiphanes was driven out of Egypt and he came back up when he was driven out of Egypt and told to leave Egypt by the Roman consul he was told to leave Egypt and he got so angry he came back up here and attacked Jerusalem and he'd been attacking them all along and he desecrated the temple by offering he raised up we don't know exactly where he did it if he did it inside the temple or inside the grounds of the temple, which there was a wall around it, and had gates into it. And we don't know if it was 
somewhere in the neighborhood of the Brazen Sea or what it was in the neighborhood of this uh, brazen altar or whether it was inside here where you had the Ark of the Covenant and the seven candlesticks and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. But he did come in there and defiled all of this. And in the New Testament, it will speak of the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And it's talking about the man of sin. The man of sin. And he will equate, when the Bible speaks of it as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Daniel speaks of that, I believe, at least three times of that desolation. I'm going to try to bring them out to you today. The man of sin of the New Testament, most people want to call him man of sin. Most people want to call him the Antichrist. But Antichrist is only mentioned in the book of 1 John and 2 John. That's the only place it's mentioned. You have to understand what man of sin was, and it's always a reference back to Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes was the uh, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-E-S. E-N-E-S. Epiphanes comes from epi, which means to cover over, with phanos, P-H-A-I-N-O-S, means shining. If you'll notice, all these guys had Greek names that were uh, trying to overthrow the world back then because Greek was the culture of the world during the days of Jesus all the way back to Alex the Great. So what I want to do, I would not be completing this if I didn't go through the man of sin as spoken of by Daniel. And in Daniel, going to find that this man of sin is spoken of. You can... You can call him the Antichrist, but the Antichrist is not the best definition for him. He's called man of sin. Let me just show you where Antichrist is mentioned. Turn over here to 1 John 2. This is the only place you've got Antichrist in the Bible. How do you know that, Jim? Well, I've got a concordance. You look up A and look up Antichrist, and this is the only place you have it. I don't know why people will write me and ask me what questions when they've got concordances, and all you have to do is turn that. But I'll be glad to answer them. And if you get you a, get you some uh, commentaries, commentaries goes all the way through the Bible, takes a verse, gives you a comment on it, and those guys have studied many other. Uh, teachers in their day and time. Now look here in First John. In First John two, we're going to read where Antichrist is mentioned. In First John two, and well, my Bible's not. My Bible's old, and it's 
hard to turn the pages in it. All right, two and verse and verse eighteen. Antichrist is mentioned six times in in the Bible. That's the only time it's mentioned. Eighteen. Little children, it is the last time. Last time means the last days or maybe the last 2,000 years. And as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists. And I'll show you, it'll show you what he's talking about in this context. So you got twice it's mentioned there. Anti means, anti means in opposition to. Well, that's what anti means in our language. In opposition. But it has an additional meaning. It means in opposition to or instead of. You place yourself in the place of God when you say, I don't think the Bible means that, and you become Antichrist. And then he says, and then he goes on down, Let's read on down. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. I've had a lot of people leave here, and they just go nowhere, and just go downhill, and don't do anything after that. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Unction means it's an explanation. You have an understanding. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, as the third time it's mentioned, that denieth the Father and the Son. You've heard me say this many times. He is Antichrist, puts himself in the place of Christ. He opposes Christ. That's what this verse says. He's not the Antichrist. He is Antichrist. If he poses, uh, if he denies Christ, denies Arneomai, means to contradict if you contradict the word of God if you believe it was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit you say I don't believe in predestination you're being antichrist but we've all been antichrist at some place in time haven't we all of us now look at 1 John 4 1 John 4 and verse 3. Ye are, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. We've got to go back up to see who them is. We'll back up to verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. It don't mean try them on for size. Had a guy used to come here. He said, does that mean I can try them for a while? No. Dokimazo means to Test for approval. Examine. Try. D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. Dokimazo. 
dokimazo, when you place the alpha in front of that, adokimazo means to uh, means reprobate or no fire, no fire, no fiery trials. People don't like that. I don't like fiery trials. Dokimas means to try or examine, to put up against, put up against the word of God and see how it how it measures out. Put up against it means to examine or try, try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are going out in the world. And here's how you know the true spirit or the truth of God. Anytime you see spirit, you can substitute truth there. Here's how you know the truth. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now that sounds like, that sounds like if you confessed with your mouth and you were Hindu, that Jesus came in a fleshly body, then he's of God. That's not what it says. It says, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in Tay, the is feminine gender. That's talking about the church. Confess is more than just saying with your mouth. It, it's more it's doing it's what you do you can't just my father being an old independent Baptist preacher you say if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved all you have to do is walk down the aisle down here and confess it confess is more than that confess is the word homologeo h-o-m-o-l-o-g-e-o Homologeo is the word confess, and it comes from homo and logos. Homo means of the same. A homosexual is of the same sex. Logos is the word word. He has to be of the same word. And of the same word means to agree with. So you have to agree with God, but it takes more than your mouth to do it. So he says, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in our fleshly bodies as the church, the feminine body of Christ, the flesh, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus come in feminine flesh or the church is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. This is the spirit of contradicting Christ when you don't confess. But you have to know what confessing is. It's doing. Can you prove that, Jim? Let's read the rest of this. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And so people are already denying Christ. Now we go to the last time this is mentioned. Second John 7. Second John 7.
For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. That's the same word, confess, homologeo. This is the deceiver and antichrist when they don't confess. Now we've got to go to Titus 1. Back up to Titus. Timothy, Titus. And then back to Titus 1. And he says here, well, let's read a little bit of this. Uh, we'll read uh, verse 14. Not giving heed to seducing fable, to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. That's what men's opinions do. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Then he says, they profess that they know God. Profess is the word, same word as confess, homologeo. They confess that they know God with their mouth. But in works, what they do they deny him. Remember, whoever denies Christ, A R N E O M A I, he is Antichrist if he contradicts the Word of God by what he does. He's Antichrist. So you can be Antichrist and be a believer when you're living wrong. Now, that's kind of a, just a, a short summary of Antichrist. You can call the man of sin Antichrist if you want to. He will be Antichrist. There's got to be a world believer, a world leader that's going to seduce, it's going to kill the church just like Antiochus killed Israel in the Old Testament and he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, over here, he caused this sacrifice to cease that he offered on that altar every day and he caused the Day of Atonement to cease. He outlawed all of the festivals and holy days of the Jews. And if you caught caught doing them, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes would have you killed. And you had to pay with your life. They slaughtered the Jews. I believe this man at the end will be the world leader, but he'll be very charming. He will seduce by flattery. That's exactly what the Bible says about Antiochus Epiphanes. He gained the throne of Syria by flattery, and he would he gained the following of Israel by getting people to become Hellenized. Hellas was a term for Greece. H e l l e s to Hellenize someone meant to teach him Greek culture, customs, to worship Greek gods, and the, all the rest of the the situation with the Greeks. Now, 
I want you to turn over here to the 24th chapter of Matthew. This is a reference back. The end of time, there's going to be a world order. I heard, I've said this a dozen times, I remember hearing uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, the president before his son, I heard him mention one time in a speech, he said something about a new world order. And I went, whoa! Because the head of the new world order will be a charming, flattering man. It can't be Joe Biden, that's for sure. Because he's not charming and flattering. You'll find that was said continually about uh, Antox Epiphanes. He sat down and flattered everybody. He was a con man on the greatest scale. He was a crook. And he was very evil and just lascivious and debaucherous. And he had no principles whatsoever. Sexually or any other way. Now go over here to Matthew. Now the Bible, I'm, what I'm doing is, I'm still talking about Christmas. Because I said last time that Hanukkah was when the temple was cleansed on December the 25th and that was the birthday of Mithra and when when Judas Maccabeus came in Judas Maccabeus came in and cleansed the temple on the 25th and threw down all the altars that Antiochus Epiphanes had put in there and he had put a some said he raised up an Astaroth inside the holy place and that he raised up a, a, a statue of Jupiter and called him Jehovah God in there. And that was a disgrace. Now it says here in Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus is talking about, he's talking about the end of time. The apostles come to him and say, and Jesus says to them, they want to show him the temple. I saw a special on the temple of Herod, which he's talking about here. Herod's temple wasn't the original temple. The original temple was Solomon's temple. It had been destroyed several times. And the apostles come to Jesus and say, and Jesus went out and departed, verse 1, from the from the temple and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple they said it was about 28 acres Herod's temple was just magnificent and Jesus said to them see all these things verily I say unto you that there shall not be one here one stone left upon another that shall not be thrown down and then they come to him and they said tell us when will these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, here's the way the Jews thought. They thought the temple was so magnificent, it was made of these huge stones that weighed 30, 40 tons. And they thought, and it was built on all kinds of levels and alcohol, all kinds of sitting parks and places. And it was magnificent. And they believed that the temple in the end of time, they couldn't say anybody could destroy the temple uh, before the end of time. 
So they coupled the question together. They said, when will these things be when one stone will not be left upon another? And what will be the sign of thy coming of the end of the world? Well, one stone was not left upon another in 70 A.D. That's when Titus, 70 A.D., that's when Titus, the Roman general, came in and leveled the temple. But the end of the world comes way down the line. But they coupled the question all together. And what's going to be the end of the world? That word world is A-I-O-N-O-S. A-I-O-N-O-S. It is not the word cosmos. It's the word Ionos, and it's the same word as eternal or forever. Forever. So, they said, and so he says, here's the signs. Here's the signs. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and they said, what's going to be the sign of this coming? Jesus said, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Many will come in my name, and they'll say, I am Christ, and deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. I said it last, last message, that this is, he's fixing to show you sword, famine, pestilence. Wars and rumors of wars is the sword. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end shall is not yet. Nations shall rise against nation. He's emphasizing wars here. War. Kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence. He emphasizes wars. And then he says famine and pestilence. The four judgments of God was sword, famine, pestilence. And the beast, but the beast will be the world order. And it's going to have to have a charming, be looking for a man that's very charming. I used to think when I was young, boy, there's nobody that can be more charming than John Kennedy. He was a charmer like nobody else I had ever seen. Probably the best charmer that's ever been in the White House. Maybe uh, Bill Clinton had run him a, a good race, I don't know. But it's going to have to be somebody that's charming the world because that's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Then he goes on down. He talks about they'll deliver you you to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Jesus says you have to be hated by the world to be a believer. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. That's going on today, isn't it? Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of the agape of many shall wax cold. Wax cold means to die. The agape, walking in God's commandments, will die. I don't hardly hear anything about that anymore. Not even from the preachers. And he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Endure is the is the verb form of patience. Hupo may know. He's talking about what's happening at the end of time. Hupomone is the word patience. 
That is the noun, and this is the verb. Hupomeno is endure. Well, how are you going to endure? Because he that hath begun a good work in you, he'll perform it in you till the day of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1 and 6. Then he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness. That started happening at Pentecost in Acts 2 because men from every nation, tongue, and tribe were there. When ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Now, here's the whole point. Let me finish reading. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Stand in the holy place. The whole point of understanding. I have people call me on this. I have people write to me on it. I had a lady call me this morning. She said, am I still under the Torah? Or the... I said, you have to understand, the law comes in two parts. It comes spiritually and it comes in the letter. The letter is the literal. The law. Everything they did at the temple was a ritual. If it was offering sacrifices oops I got the brazen sea up there if it was offering sacrifices on this brazen altar let me see if I can find that let's see if I can find it this was this was the law was in two ports the the spirit and the letter of the law. I wish I had a way of getting to all this. There it is right there. There's the there's the glassy sea. It was made out of the women's looking glasses. Here is the altar. And there's the temple. There's the entrance into the temple. So, everything over here, they were performing rituals all over here. That's what it was about. Rituals. And the law comes in the letter, which is the rituals, and it comes in the spirit. Can you prove that, Jim? Oh, yeah. Look at the third chapter. The third chapter of... Uh, in Second Corinthians. Third chapter of Second Corinthians. And it says it several times, but this is this lays it down just like it's supposed to be. Second Corinthians, the second chapter. Alright, down here in verse six. Speaking of Christ, who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. 
Now, what happened to the rituals of the law? We've said this so many times I can't count. Colossians 2.14 Did God blot out the law? No. The law is still here. Colossians 2.14 Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances or rituals which was contrary to us took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. The rituals were nailed to the cross. There's no more rituals anymore. Not water baptism. Not crackers and grape juice. They were eating the last Passover. Just, I can't understand why I'm the only guy that knows that. Can see that. All of that rituals are gone. There's now a spiritual Passover. I'm not going to go through that. I've gone through that over and over again. There's a spiritual Passover. A spiritual day of atonement. Atonement has the same exact meaning as baptism. It has the same exact meaning as pitch the ark within and without with pitch. Pitch was a red stained caulking that they put on boats to keep them from sinking. And so the rituals were blotted out. There's no more rituals anymore. I don't know what people are going to do with that that's dipping people in water and sprinkling water on them or what they're going to do when they pass around crackers and grape juice they were not eating crackers and grape juice the thing that really gets me I'll show it to you real quick that was blotted out when they wanted to do away with one contract they took the contracting parties in public and the two witnesses that were originally witnesses to the contract, that was Jewish law in Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19, where you had to have two witnesses to everything. And they would take them out in the public and say, everyone is in agreement, we're going to blot out the old law that you had. And they'd say, yes. And they'd drive a nail through it, and it stood up in their courts of law. Good night, man. How, look here. Here's what gets me. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, uh, 21st chapter, Luke, not 22nd chapter, excuse me. The tw- here's where they've come up with, with uh, here's where they come up with crackers and grape juice. Crackers and grape juice. You find the only place was at the Last Supper, which was the last literal Passover. But when Jesus is nailed to the cross, the the rituals of the Passover are done away with, and we're in a spiritual Passover. Now, I've gone through that. You had four items at the Passover. I had a lamb without, ble- without blemish. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And first uh, Corinthians fifth chapter he's the passover lamb uh, killed for us then you had four cups uh, and the third cup was called the cup of blessing paul said the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of christ drink of a cup of blood was against jewish law but it was also a, a saying an idiom a metaphor to drink of a cup meant to undergo a death Jesus asked James and John, Can you drink the cup that I drank of? Be baptized with the blood baptism I'm baptized with. Then you had 
unleavened bread for seven days. Paul said, we being many are one bread and one body. We're the bread. And they had bitter herbs. And God says, I'll make you drink wormwood when you forsake me, Israel. And that was a bitter herb. Now, what gets me, here's the chapters on the so-called crackers and grape juice. Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13, and 1 Corinthians 11. That's where you find what they call crackers and grape juice. Here's what I... I don't know why I'm the only guy that's ever read this. It's like I'm, at, it's like I'm the only guy. And here in Luke, the first chapter, or 22nd chapter, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. What? They don't ever bring out a Passover lamb being killed. I never heard a Baptist preacher say that in my life. They're eating a Passover. It did not mutate into crackers and grape juice. We still have the bread, that's us. We have the lamb, that's Christ. We have the bitter herbs, that's trials. And we have drinking the cup. That's death to self. It's all the same. It's still... The only thing that's done away in the Passover is the rituals of it all. God did not... He said, I change not. That word change, shana, means to duplicate or to transmute to mutate something from one thing into another. He did not mutate the Passover into crackers and grape juice. He did. I deny that. They had to kill a Passover lamb here. And this is at the Last Supper where all the preachers get all their information about crackers and grape juice. They call it communion. I call it what it is, crackers and grape juice. And then if you go over here to Mark 14... Why can I see this and they can't? Mark 14. That is Mark's version of the last Passover, not communion. 14 says, 14 and verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread... When they killed the Passover. Now why is it I can find that they're killing the Passover and none of these preachers can find that when they're passing around crackers and grape juice. Pass around some lamb too. It's crazy. I don't know why nobody sees this. God delivers from ignorance. Now, go back over here to Mark 13. Look at... Mark 13, Mark 13, is equivalent to Matthew. These are sister chapters. 
Matthew 24 and Luke 21. These are sister chapters about the end of time. They all have basically the same account. One will say something the other doesn't say. So he says here, and and Mark, well, I was going to give you something. What was I going to give you? I gave you on Mark 13, Mark 13, verse 14. And when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not. Here's the point. The temple was desecrated back here. This man of sin will desecrate the temple of God over here. But if the if all the rituals are done away with, the temple of God is no longer literal, it's spiritual. It's us. Right? So if he causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, like Antiochus did over there, he will cause the sacrifice in this temple, which is us, believers. And the oblation in us. Most people don't know an oblation is bread. It was a bread offering offered on that it was offered on this altar every morning at six and every evening at six or sun up and sundown. Now, so when you see Where's it? Where's the temple now? It's you and I, isn't it? Look over here in First Corinthians. First Corinthians. Look at First Corinthians, the third chapter. There has to be two witnesses to this, so let's see if we got that. Look in verse 16, chapter 3. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? We're the Jewish temple of a spiritual Israel. That the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Where did he dwell over here? He dwelt inside the house of God. That was the Holy of Holies. He would come down out of that cloud and sit down there and rule Israel from there. And... He comes into our hearts over here and rules us from our hearts. All the rituals done with with. If any man defile this temple, him shall him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? And then look over here in the sixth chapter of First Corinthians. And he says here, verse nineteen. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price, and you have to live right, off your body a living sacrifice? I keep saying this. 
all the Baptist preachers, all the prophecy preachers, they keep talking about a temple being established on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They can't do that. The Temple Mount is being occupied by the Muslims. They've got their temple on it. It's the Dome of the Rock. And if you try to throw them off the Dome of the Rock to build a literal temple, you'll bring about World War Three. That's crazy. And they keep saying, well, they found the... Uh, they found the slate to build the temple. That's anybody who starts offering a to build another temple, and they start offering the same sacrifice they offered over here. That one is blotted out. We've already got a new sacrifice in the temple of God, which is us, and that's Jesus. He's our Passover Lamb in the spiritual Passover. I don't. This all seems fairly simple to me. How can I see this? And all these Baptists can't see it. And these scholars, these doctors of theology, PhD, LLD, DDT, whatever else they got, I just I don't understand. I can look at this and find it, and you can't. I think they must have flunked general math in school. They can't add two plus two. It just, it bothers me that people don't have any better sense than that. The word abominable or abomination is only, abomination is only mentioned six times, in, five times in the New Testament. Abominable is mentioned three times. And the word abomination is delegma, B-D-E-L-U-G-M-A, B. D E L U G M A. And it means to be idolatrous. It means to stink. It comes from the word deluso, B D L U S S O. B D L U S S O. B D L U S S O. And from that we get the word B D A-E. Bidet, that's the thing that you usually have rich people having in their houses to wash their bottoms off with. It sprays up your your bottom and washes you off. That's a bidet and it stinks. Uh, And people say, that's awful crude. No, I tell God that. He says, it stinks to me. Now, Look over here, and I'll go to a couple of these other places. Luke sixteen fifteen. Luke sixteen. Might take me a little more time than one message on this. Luke sixteen. This is the word abomination. Luke sixteen fifteen. 1615 and he's talking here he's talking about a man who's not who's not willing to forgive people their 
their debts. And Jesus said unto them, verse 15, Ye are they, talking to the Pharisees, which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is a stink to God. He's talking about the man that loves money, and he's willing to not let go of it. And you also have that in Revelation twenty-one, twenty-seven. It's the word dilegma. Revelation 21 and 27. Twenty-one, twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. There shall in no wise enter into enter in anything that defileth, talking about going into heaven, anything that defileth not whatsoever worketh abomination, maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So God's got to clean us up of all of our stinking self-idol worship, our abominations. Now, there's the Bible specifically speaks of this man that's going to flatter and he's going to be very charming because that's what Antiochus was. He was very charming. He flattered people. That's how he got control of Syria. That's how he uh, seduced other people with his flattery. But even the writers will tell you he didn't care nothing about his promises. He didn't care anything about his morals. Now I want you to go over here to Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. This is this describes to you what the man of sin is and how he is to appear and come on the scene. Second Thessalonians, second chapter. This is a chapter I love very much. Now we beseech you, brethren, verse chapter 2, verse 1. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that talking about? It's talking about verse 7 and 8 of the previous chapter. Verse 7 of chapter 1. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's the coming of the Lord. It's talking about in chapter 2, verse 1. In flaming fire, this has become one of my favorite verses. I put this on a couple of t-shirts. Jesus is coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. That's talking about his coming in verse 1 of chapter 2. We beseech you, brethren, by this coming of Jesus, when he's going to destroy all those people in flaming fire, that obey not the gospel. We need to find out what the gospel is. I could go off on that, but I won't. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by gathering together unto him when we were to alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word 
nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. He says it's not here yet. He said two things has to happen in the next verse. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day of the Lord, when he comes back in flaming fire, that day shall not come except two things happen. There has to come a falling away first. Falling away. Apostasis. I heard preachers talk about the apostasy is coming one day. They call the apostasy the beginning of the tribulation at a pre-trib rapture, and there's no pre-trib rapture. And they call that's the beginning of the apostasy. The apostasy is here now. Apostasy comes from apo and stasis. Apo means a removal of stasis. Stasis means to stand or be upright. A man who was standing upright in the first century was said to be bearing his cross. Staros is a form of the word stasis. Staros. So there has been a removal of uprightness in the world of bearing a daily cross. People don't believe in a daily cross anymore. I never hear preachers even talk about it. That means crucifying your flesh, denying self, taking up your cross and dying daily. Paul said, I die daily. That's what he's talking about. That's the first thing that needs to happen. Is there has to be. He said, the day of the Lord when Christ comes back and every eye sees him, He's not going to come from the east. He's going to come as the lightning shines from the east, even unto the west. I just got to think about that one day. How in the world could he come from the east on one side of the world and come from the east on the other side of the world? (laughs) He couldn't come that way. And every eye shall see him east to west. If this is the earth right here. East to west is going to be all the way around the world, isn't it? And God's going to cause every eye to see him when he comes back. To some to destruction, to some to eternal happiness. Now, so he says, first of all, there has to be apostasy. And then the man of sin, the leader of this world order, the leader that's charming and flattering, has got to be revealed. Revealed does not mean introduced. Revealed, apocalypsis, apokalupto is the word revealed. It's a form of apo. And corrupto. Corrupto, it means cover. Oppo means off with the cover. This word actually means to be exposed. He's not going to be exposed at, at any beginning of any tribulation. He won't be exposed until the end of time. That's 
That's when Christ is going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Let's keep reading. And then it says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's four words I want you to look at here. Opposeth. It's a participle. A participle is a verbal adjective. Adjectives modify nouns and pronouns. This opposeth, this is the opposing man of sin. This is not what Jack Van Impey said or what Hal Lindsey or any other number of people are saying. They were saying, well, this is a future thing where he'll be opposing God and when they build the temple of God in the future, the temple of God is us. And they're saying this is future opposing. It can't be future. None of it's future. Because opposeth is a present tense participle. It's present tense. This is the opposing man of sin that's in the temple even here. That means the church is already starting to get apostate. And exalteth, there's another present tense participle. That means the apostasy had begun when Paul wrote this letter present tense exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth that's an infinity that's a verbal noun being verbal in character it has tense it was present tense it was happening here showing himself that he is God showing is also a participle and that is a verbal adjective and it's present tense. All these are verbal in character and they all was happening here. The church was already getting apostate. Even Enoch Pond says in his church history book, by the end of the second century, the churches had begun to turn their governing over to synods and councils. He said those are the same things as associations and conventions. That's what the man that rises to the top of the Southern Baptist Convention is not the best scholar by any means. The best scholars are behind the scenes people. It's doctors that have studied for years. I got a book over here. A great book, half of it anyway is, half of it's a good book. Exploring the Book of Daniel by John Phillips. And Jerry Vines, there's only one problem with this. Jerry Vines was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He worked his way to the top. He was a politician. I don't even care for his his covering of the first six chapters of Daniel. But Mr. Phillips is one of the best historians I've ever read after. You know why he did that? He employed Jerry Vines. It gave him an avenue to get his books out there. That's why. I don't have any doubt that's why he did it. Jerry Vines was a very famous 
Southern Baptist pastor, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Adrian Rogers was president twice. You might as well have Adrian Rogers writing with you. And Jerry Vines is just not interesting. He's not detailed. And Mr. Phillips is very good. The only way I recommend that is don't read Jerry Vines' pastor's uh, portion. All right. Now, let's finish reading this. So he's already opposing himself. He's already exalting himself. That's not a future temple. It can't be a future temple because we are the temple of God. And there won't be any more ritual temple. How can somebody offer a lamb in a ritual temple when Jesus is the lamb of God, the one offered once for all? Hebrews 10. He was offered once. He is the Passover lamb. Anybody starts killing the lamb and offer him in a literal temple, in a literal Jerusalem, that would stink to God. That would be denying Jesus, wouldn't it? You bunch of prophecy teachers, I hope you're watching. Don't listen to Jack Van Impey or Hal Lindsey. They don't know nothing. They're pre-trib rapture, pre-trib rapture people. We're going to be changed at the last trump and the seventh trump. The last trump sounds in Revelation 10 and 7. When the mystery of God is finished, that's the church is complete and time is no more. That's when the last trump sounds. There's no more seven years of tribulation after that and there's no thousand years. I don't know why I can find these things and preachers can't find them. Now, let me see here. All right. I want to look at... Let me give you one other place where the word abomination is. Revelation 17, 4 and 5. Revelation 17, 4 and 5. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. This is the harlot of Babylon. She's going to be the system at the end. Decked in gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abomination and filthiness of her fornication. Now upon her forehead was a name written, Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The Bible keeps talking about the world being made drunk with the wine of her fornication. You know what the wine of her fornication is? Self. Babylon started in Genesis 11. Genesis 11. And verse 4. They said, Let us build us a city and a tower and let us make us a name that's the wine of her fornication right there let us make us a shem let us make up our own authority shem was god's authority at that time blessed be the lord god of shem he didn't say that about japheth or ham he said bless shem and shem was second born and god would put his blessing on many of the second borns as a picture of our second birth and they said, let us make up our own authority. And they just said, we don't like Shem ruling us. We'll make up our own Shem. 
And that is the drunkenness of the wine of Babylon, is a man getting involved in his own self, in his own doctrine. Now, man of sin, Mark thirteen twenty-two. I'm just going to give you some of these verses where these are. Mark thirteen twenty-two. Mark 13, I'm just trying to document as much of this as I can. 13:22. For false Christ and false prophets shall arise and shall show wonders, signs and wonders, seduce, if it were possible, even the very elect. They're going to be good. Whoever this man will be, he'll be better than Donald Trump. He'll be better than... To say better than Joe Biden doesn't, is not saying anything. He'll be better than John Kennedy or Bill Clinton. Somebody will rise to the top and look real, real good. Now, the, I want us to go back to the Old Testament. Look where the abomination of desolation is spoken of. Go back to Daniel. How much time do I have, Mike? 28. 28? Yeah. I'm not, I'll have to cover the rest of this next time because there's too much on it. Now, where did I say we were going? Daniel. Daniel, the 8th chapter. Oh, no, let's go to Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 27. Speaking of the man of sin, or the man... Uh, who rises up well we're going to have to read a little bit of this Daniel is praying all through this chapter how long are we going to be in captivity how long are we going to be this miserable and God sends the angel Gabriel to tell him his answer and he said 70 weeks or 77's are declared upon your people 70 times 7 that actually is the word sevens that's 490 years I've already gone through that with you 490 years are determined upon Israel because for 490 years they never kept their sabbatical years 490 70 times 7 that's how many times you forgive a man 70 times 7 and he goes on through here and says and he shall confirm the covenant talking about this man of sin with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. That's exactly what what Antiochus Epiphanes did. He called the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, raising up those gods and gods those gods and those little gods in God's house and defile the temple for two years until and Judas Maccabeus threw it all out of the temple. That was getting rid of Christmas in the temple of God. Christmas has to leave this temple. Christmas is not just some festival or holiday. It is an affront to God. It is an insult to his face. Now, I want to show you back over here to Daniel 11. If you read Daniel 11, it will tell you about how 
Antiochus in verse 21 obtained the kingdom by flatteries when he was flattering people he's he was flattering people in Syria to get that throne. He went down and flattered Ptolemy in Egypt, trying to get his confidence, and he knew he was going to attack him. You'll find flatteries all through here. How that he calls the, he says the same thing over in verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant. He's talking about Antiochus. Epiphanes going in against the people of God shall he corrupt by flatteries. He's going to flatter them. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now, go back over here to the 8th chapter of Daniel. Now this is, it's lengthy. That's why I may have to finish this next week. All right. Now, he's going to claim to have the answers to the problems in the world. That's what the man of sin is going to claim. What are the problems that there are no answers? What problems do we have? Well, we've got the judgments of God. That's what problems we have. And he's going to claim to have these answers to the sword, to the famine. Famine is going to be a shortage of money. And famine is always connected with with pestilence. It always brings disease. We've got that already corrupted all over the world. We've got disease everywhere that can't be cured. If you really want to find something interesting, go online and look up Center of Disease Control out of Atlanta. They'll tell you about we have got all kinds of of diseases that have no cure. Now, here in the 8th chapter, this is talking about the rise of Antiochus Epiphanes. He comes at the end of the chapter, but let me let me start reading it. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me. Now, I want you to notice something. When you read these things, these are independent chapters. They do not follow one another chronologically. What do you mean by that, Jim? Well, because you can go back here to chapter 5. Now notice, it says in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. And then over in 7 in verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, Belshazzar was an evil, wicked, godless man. But it says back here in chapter 5, verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast, and he was feasting with the, with the vessels of the house of the Lord that had been carried away in the captivity that happened in the 36th chapter Second Chronicles. And that was a long time before Belshazzar. And so, and he is killed that night in chapter 5. So when you get over here into chapter 7, it's just 
regressing back in time, saying, in the first year of Belshazzar the king. And when you get to chapter 8, it's going back three years, the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. So chapter 7 and chapter 8, the beginning of the chapters is a time period that was before Belshazzar died. So, he says, and he introduces you in the seventh chapter to the four beasts. He introduces you to Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Of course, Persia overthrew Babylon. Persia was overthrown by Greece. And Greece subjugated, uh, Rome subjugated the four generals that got control of Alexander the Great's empire when he died. It's believed that one of his generals probably killed him so they could assume the throne. That was Cassander's, Lysacomus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. So Rome subjugates these right here. And they're the ones that rose up out of the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea back over where I brought it out before. Get to the Mediterranean. I love this picture because it's got all of Israel. It's got all of Bible lands in this picture. This is all the Bible lands. That's everything in the Bible right there. Right there. So the beast that rises up out of the sea is Babylon here in Iraq, Persia and Iran, and Afghanistan and Pakistan, and then Greece right here, and then Rome here. Rises up out of this Mediterranean Sea. Now, this eighth chapter is talking about the men that living that control the world. And it's let's read here. In the third year of the reign of the King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw I was in Shushan in the palace in Babylon, which is in the province of Elam, I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Uli, which is in Babylon. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, and one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. So, that's Persia. It's not that I'm brilliant. You got to read later in the chapter. That's Persia, because the Persian Empire was a Persia made empire. It was a dual empire, a two horned empire. You have to compare it with the previous chapter where you got the four beasts. You got the lion, the first beast, that's Babylon, and you got the second beast is a bear the largest carnivore in the world. And the polar bear and the Kodiak are the two biggest bears in the world. And they eat people and eat other animals. And 
so Persia was represented as a bear there because of their size and they had like two to three million men in their armies when they attacked somebody well they're represented politically here in the eighth chapter as two horns and the reason we know this is Persia if you look at the end of the at the end of the chapter look at verse 20 the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia see I'm not as smart as you thought just read the end of that chapter I wasn't making it up the Bible tells us who it is well if that's Media and Persia then everything surrounding that has to be Babylon or it has to be what's following that or Rome let's follow up with it now let's keep on reading and I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward that's Persia westward that was that was same thing as Iran here westward northward and southward they're trying to take over everything that's civilized at that time it's not hard I I don't think preachers ought to preach without a map maps tell you everything I saw the ram pushing these directions so that no beast could stand before Persia but towards the Mede-Persian Empire neither neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand because they were too powerful they were huge but he did according to his will and became great and as I was considering behold as an he goat was come from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground that's important from the west oh this is west over here what is it that conquers Persia Greece Alexander the Great that's what it's talking about. It's not like it's hard, but you can't see that if you're not looking at a map, can you? No. So, and I saw a ram pushing westward and northward and southward. No, he's said I read that. Verse 5, And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touch not the ground. That means to move with tremendous speed. Alexander moved like a bullet. Just, he's conquering everything he come into. And the goat had a noble, notable horn between his eyes. The goat is Greece. The notable horn is Alexander the Great. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which had which I had seen standing before the river and ran into him in the fury of his power. That's Alexander the Great attacking Persia and all of those Persian monarchs. And I saw him come close to the ram and he was moved with Kohler, Marar, which means he was bitter and angry M-A-R-A-R means bitter because they had invaded Greece before 
and tried to annex Greece. And Alexander the Great grew up in in Macedon. Macedon was Upper Greece, and only country people come from there. The educated people were down there in Athens and Corinth and those educational centers. And smote the ram and broke his two horns. He broke Media and Persia. And there was no power in the ram to stand before, let's just say, Alexander the Great. He didn't have any power. But cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of the hand of Alexander the Great. Therefore, the he-goat waxed very great. Greece waxed great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. That means Alexander the Great died. For up for it came for it came up four notable ones to take his place toward the four winds of heaven. Four winds means every direction. And the four ones were mentioned over here in chapter seven and verse and verse six. After this, after after the bear comes down, after the bear is conquered, or after Persia's conquered, after this I beheld in lo another like a leopard that was Greece. It's called a leopard hair. It's called one a ram with one horn over there in the eighth chapter. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So the beast had four heads of four generals that took over Cassander, Lysacomus, Seleucus, and and I can't even Ptolemy. Yeah. Those had those four those were the four heads. Now go back over there. Go back over there to the eighth chapter. And the great horn was broken. Verse 8. And four notable ones toward the four winds of the earth. So all these four generals, Lysacomus, Cassander, Ptolemy, Seleucus, they all started conquering this area here. Ptolemy down here. Uh, Seleucus had Syria. He came over here and conquered when I say Antiochus, Antiochus was a Seleucian king. He was Seleucian, Antiochus. Sometimes they would call themselves Seleucus Antiochus. And this is now, let's look at this next verse. And since we read that verse at the end of the chapter about who Rough Goat was, and who the ram with the two horns was, meeting in Persia, it's not so hard to put all the rest of this together. And then he says, now out of one of them, out of one of who? One of the four notable ones, out of one of the four noble ones, came forth a little horn, 
out of Seleucus came Antiochus. He's the guy that wants to take over the world. And out of one of them, out of Seleucus, which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, that's the same thing as the king of the south was talking about Ptolemy because he had Egypt down here. He was the king of the south and the king of the north in the context of Deuteronomy, uh, Daniel 11 was Seleucus. Seleucus goes to the king of the south, wants to conquer him till he's forbidden by Rome. Now, where was I? Verse 9. 9. And out of, this, out of one of them, out of Seleucus, comes a little horn which waxed exceeding great. And we know that's Antiochus because of the following verses. Toward the south, toward the Ptolemies, he wants to take over Egypt. And toward the east, he wants to take over not just Egypt, he wants to take over all of Syria, which some of it's ruled by one of the other generals, and toward the pleasant land. That's Israel. And it waxed great. Antiochus waxed great. Antiochus Epiphanes waxed great. His father was Antiochus the Great, and he called himself Antiochus the God. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Remember, stars was implying other leaders of other lands. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him this matches up with Antiochus. This makes the little horn Antiochus. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away in the pleasant land. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So God had him go and attack. How else could all this happen? How else could it happen? Antiochus was an evil man. was evil how could God have arranged all this how could it happen would it be accidental if everything that he did literally God's going to happen at the end of time and it's going to bring up a world order and there's going to be a man that runs that that flatters I just keep looking for somebody to come on the scene that's better than what we've seen. And he will deceive the very elect if it were possible. But it won't be possible. Now, he causes the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And the place of his sanctuary is cast down. And an host was given him against the daily sacrifice. So he's going to take away the daily sacrifice in the literal temple of God. And that's repeated in Daniel nine twenty seven. It's repeated in Daniel in, in Daniel eleven, and it's repeated here, saying the same thing. And it cast down the truth to the ground, 
and it practiced and prospered in all of its evil. And that was Antiochus. Then I heard one saint speaking. And another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? How long is this going to go on? To give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. That's Antiochus, isn't it? There's not any doubt about that. Because we matched up the little horn with him taking the sacrifice and the oblation away. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And that's when Judas Maccabeus comes in and cleanses it. And they call that Hanukkah. And they throw out the tree and the sun worship out of the temple. And that's getting rid of Christmas out of us. Our sun and tree worship. And it's really the worship of self. Let us make us a name. Am I out of time, Mike? Four. Four minutes. Well, I really wanted to get the last part of this. It tells you what this guy, what this man of sin is going to do. It says in verse 23, In the latter time of their kingdom, whose kingdom? Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. An evil kingdom. At the end of, It's saying at the end of time, when the transgressors are come to the full, God's had his fill of the transgressors, a king of fierce countenance will come along and he'll understand dark sentences. That word dark, dark sentences is the word kidah, C-H-I-Y, C-H-I-Y-D-A-H. It means puzzling questions. The Bible says at the end of time there will be distress of nations with perplexity. Aporia. In a quandary. No way out. No answer. And this man of sin is going to claim to have the puzzling questions to the sword, to the war, to famine money shortage pestilence disease that always goes together pestilence and famine and money famine pestilence and the beast will be ruling at the end of time until he is exposed there in second thessalonians the second chapter and he's going to be exposed in flaming fire by god and he's going to be revealed. I didn't finish that chapter over there. I didn't finish this chapter. Because it's talking about... It's talking about when the king of Greece is broken in verse 22. It talks about the four one more time. Now that being broken, talking about Alexander the Great, four stood up for it. The four generals. That to try to divide the world up, try to become world conquerors. I've run out of time, and if I went back, I want to say anything. I want to finish up Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, because when the beast is revealed, revealed doesn't mean introduced. 
It means exposed. The cover's taken off. And the Bible says that in Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, the mystery of iniquity already works. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, verse 8, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The man of sin will be destroyed when Christ comes back. He won't be introduced to the newspaper saying, Beast comes on the scene uh, in the newspapers of America. It's not it. That's not revealed. Revealed, apocalypto means exposed. But he's going to look good. He's going to flatter the world. And then there's going to be no answer. And he's going to say, I've got the answers. I'll come back, maybe review the rest of that chapter in Daniel 8 and the rest of this chapter in, in Second Thessalonians. This is still about Christmas. Christmas is thrown out of the temple and God's removed he's already moved it out of some of our temple I mean but when I say Christmas I'm talking about let us make us a name we'll make up our own doctrine that's what Christmas is it's a fairy tale let's pray Father thank you for truth thank you for everything you do fight our battles give us courage to keep standing And we'll praise you for all things. Keep us healthy to keep preaching this word as you'd have us to. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to meet next Sunday at 1 o'clock instead of on, on Saturday. Some people can come. We're not just going to open the church completely, but... If you want to come while we're taping the, these are for the internet and for the uh, TV. I like your cap there, Dave. I like it too. It's nice and warm. Makes you look like the Grinch. The Grinch stole that's so funny. People don't even know that's correct. Yeah. Somebody needs to steal the Christ mask. It's a wonder they air that on TV, you know. They what? It's a wonder they air it on television. Yeah. They're stole Christmas. Yeah, it's a wonder they do that. Well, it's like Ebenezer Scrooge when... Uh, Charles Dickens wrote that Christmas Carol one of his big enemies was Ebenezer Erskine he was a he was a he was a uh, Puritan preacher and he hated Ebenezer Erskine and and Dickens was a he was very prejudiced he thought all black men ought to be done away with he was a prejudiced man. He wrote all these books for people to read. I mean, just just a foolish man. And he hated Ebenezer Erskine. So he wrote, put Ebenezer as a name of one of the enemies. In. 
Are you leaving, Michelle? Huh? Michelle, my belle. These are words to go to other girl. My Michelle. Did you say you were named after that song? Yeah, my dad. Did he like Paul McCartney or what? Huh? Millions have been named after that song. Yeah, <laughs> Even men have the name Michelle. Right. Like the French girls, isn't it? Yeah, the French Like the hockey players have Michelle Bergeron. You go, no, I ain't going to be messing with that guy. <laughs> Who's that? Hockey players are ruffians. Oh, Dave knows a lot of these sports people. He used to be a sports announcer. Oh. That's why he knows. Back in the day. Back in the day. He was a DJ. Did your what was your who's your father with? Clarence White, the birds. Huh? The birds. 